this episode. Yeah, I'm not sure whether it's a sporting story or a political story or a leadership story. It kind of blends all the genres, uh, which is what Nelson Mandela did in 1995. I could not believe what I saw. And and he just started crying in this interview that this, this thing of reconciliation was possible. That demonstrated information that from you know, his commitment to this uh, that rainbow nation. Excellent. <laughs> All Try of a sudden, see. you've got international sport happening again in your yeah. country. That's yeah. not enough to say. Sometimes you need to do. Welcome to Anecdotally Speaking, a podcast to help you build your business story repertoire. Hi, everybody. I'm Sean Callahan. And hi, everybody. I'm Mark Shank. Now, Mark, I believe you have a story from the sporting world for us. Yeah, I'm not sure whether it's a sporting story or a political story or a leadership story. It kind of blends all the genres. And uh, it's one where there is an enormous amount written. And I actually feel under a little bit of pressure to try and do this story justice because it's such a big story. <laughs> and there's been movies made about it and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So I'm going to relate this story as if I was using the business context. So I'm just going to focus on those, those things. And I might be uh, talking to, to somebody about the importance of leading by example, uh, which is what Nelson Mandela did in 1995 at the Rugby World Cup. Now, uh, a year earlier, he had been elected as the first president or the first democratically elected president of South Africa. And he had this vision of a rainbow nation where you know, all, all, all races were, uh, lived together harmoniously. Uh, and so his focus was on reconciliation after a many, many decades of apartheid. Yeah. Unfortunately, the nation itself was deeply divided. The um, the, the black minor, a majority, you know, they basically wanted all the symbols of apartheid torn down. And the, you know, kind of the Afrikaners, uh, the, the, uh, the, the minority who'd held power for so long, and, and a lot of the economic influence, well, they were very worried about the retribution and, you know, all the things that they'd created being destroyed and having to leave their homeland, their country. Anyway, so... Um, at the World Cup, the, the South Africa is playing, and uh, the, the the South African national team is called the Springboks. And one of the like the the Springbok is a native antelope, and a, pretty much a symbol of the apartheid era. And of all the symbols that uh, were being sought to destroy, this was not to the top of the list, but it was pretty damn close. It was up there. It was up there. And so uh, Mandela knew that rugby was one of the, 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 you know, was an incredibly passionate national sport for for a minority of South Africans. Uh, And and he thought this was an opportunity to bring the country together. And so he did something that was completely unexpected. He turns up to the final dressed in a Springboks jersey. So he's wearing the symbol of the apartheid regime, essentially. Wow. Um, well, you know, like that's the way people thought of it. Yep. And but not just that, he had the cap. You know, they had the whole thing. He was completely into it. Um, he walked down to the players, to the South African players' uh, change rooms, before, and and I, I saw an interview where Francois Pinar, the captain, describes, and years later he describes what happened. There was a knock on the door, and the door opened, and Mr. Mandela walked in. I, and I could not, I could not believe what I saw, and, and he just started crying in this interview. Wow! And it took him a little while to collect. He said, 
he was wearing a Springboks jersey. Like that's that's kind yeah. of just blew him away. Wow. And and that was for from from that perspective, from you know the 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 uh, the majority of the population, Mandela was was wearing a symbol that they were pretty not happy with. Anyway, the game was a, an amazing uh, spectacle. Uh, at full time, New Zealand and South Africa were tied, uh, nine points, I think, twelve points apiece, and then uh, uh, South Africa won a, a thrilling match in extra time, and and still dressed in his jersey and cap, Mandela presents the the, tr- the trophy to uh, uh, Francois Pina, and kind of in that moment, he was demonstrating to to the entire nation of South Africa that this, this thing of reconciliation was possible. Uh, and you know, he could have, I mean, he, was, he spent a lot of time kind of uh, like trying to convince people, but the most effective, well, one of the most effective things he did was that, that one action that demonstrated to the nation that for, you know, his commitment to this uh, rainbow nation. Excellent. <laughs> I remember, uh, of course, seeing the movie Invictus and uh, that imagery of Morgan Freeman as, as Mandela, um, you know, standing there cheering on the team. It really does get burnt into your mind. Uh, it was a, a fabulous, um, it's a fabulous story. Um, yeah, the picture I've got is, is the picture of Mandela in the stand. Uh, in yeah. the, sitting in his seat in in the grandstand. Yeah, that's the picture I've got too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah and he was decked out definitely as a full on fan, wasn't he? Totally. Yeah, yeah. it was. Yeah. He, he went all the way. He went all yeah. the way on it. Yeah, and it was you know, and, and he was surrounded by suits, which was that's right. The contrast was pretty yeah. uh, stark, and yeah. of course, if I remember correctly, I mean, was that pretty much was that one of the first tournaments after the boycott i mean uh, yeah pretty much so it was uh, so they hosted the world cup in south africa yes like it was only it was only one year after the democratic the first democratic election right okay so yeah, the boycott would have been lifted at that yeah. stage and yeah. so that that would have been pretty um you know meaningful as well right well that's all right, of a sudden you've got international sport happening again in your yeah. country yeah the, the springboks had only been able to play international rugby uh, for maybe two years, because apartheid ended in '91, and they were readmitted to the rugby league world league right. in '92. So they only played uh, like a couple of you know a small number of games yeah. uh, of international rugby before cool. they won that World Cup. Okay, let's talk about this story then. Hey, so what do we like about it? What what are the bits that um, you know sort of grab us? I mean, for me, I think one of the bits I really like is almost like the sidebar element of you talking about the interview that was done by the captain Francois um, and how years later it still brought him to tears just thinking about that moment of Mandela walking into the change room I think that's to me I don't know because that, that really does that grabbed me I really sort of gave me a feeling of just how important that was for people yeah when I watched that that snippet of, of that interview I just went, I was like, wow, that was really meant something to this guy. Yeah. Yeah. So, so there's definitely that. I mean, and also just the, the imagery of Mandela, as we already mentioned, you know, up in the stand and, and, and presenting the cup. I think those are nice pictures. Um, I think it, for some reason, 
it did, of course, it did matter that the South Africans won that match, I think. I mean, that's a yeah. big part of the story. It would have been a bit of a bummer, right, if it didn't go that way. If it, yeah, it all fell well. Firstly, yes. that they won. Secondly, that they'd won a thriller. And, of course, you know, sport has this ability, particularly when it's close, has this ability to really draw people in and to, and to, to feel passionate about it, even if... I, I remember years ago, uh, uh, my, uh, my then... My girlfriend, uh, it, was a, it was a rugby league match and I don't, it was a rugby league, league grand final and I don't follow rugby league that much. But I, I called her into the room because the, it was such, it was so close and it was such an engaging thing and it went to full time and extra time. And so she watched about 12 minutes of this extra time thing. And she was, she doesn't follow rugby at all, but she was like, <laughs> she was screaming at us, but it was incredibly exciting. So uh, it, it, it certainly, you know, all the all the pieces fell into place for Mandela. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's that's uh, definitely definitely part of that that story, right? Adds to the uh, momentum of it. Uh, what about for you? What do you like about that story? What bits in it that really sit well for you? Well, I, I guess uh, as I was doing the research, I was understanding just how bitterly divided the country was, and how the Springbok and and rugby was kind of a symbol of that division right and and so i i hadn't re- fully appreciated the 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 i guess the sim the, the magnitude right. of of mandela's what gesture. that meant mm. yeah of what that meant so so that's why i kind of spent a few uh, just a little bit of time talking about that division because for me that's important to understand what was at stake yes yeah, well, it wasn't just you know like him turning up you know to a you know to a, a popular event to a, following a popular team wearing their jersey. This was a this was a statement. Mm. Yeah, most definitely. I tell you, one of the questions I had in my head as as you were telling it, especially right at the end, I was just wondering: has and I don't know the answer to this, but has South African uh, rugby union changed in terms of the? I don't know the makeup of a team. Is it is it more a rainbow nation in their uh, football uh, uh, environment? Do you well, know? Well, well, it, it is more, uh, but not a lot of people kind of criticise how it's not much more. Right, right. But having said that, um, the, the the South African captain of the I think it was their 2019 World Cup t- victory, team, right? Uh, was a was a, a, a black man, right? Um, Okay. And so that he was certainly, you know, he's certainly the first uh, black captain. But yeah, this has there's been criticism of rugby league for not for, for kind of still being a a, a, you know, a bit of an elitist sport. Yeah, yeah. Uh, interesting. Okay. Well, what would we do? What what would we suggest if we were going to try to improve this story? Um, anything jump to mind for you, Mark? Well, practice it first. So as we did, because <laughs> when I told it the first time, I included a whole bunch of stuff that didn't really add to the business value of the story. For me, it was really interesting, but didn't add to the to the kind yes, of business yeah, that's right. a- application of the story. And in fact, the the suggestion I I made was, hey, how would you tell that to a group of business people around a table? And and it kind of just crunched down the story a bit, didn't it? Mm. Um, so 
I think that's a useful test. Um, I, you know, I guess the only thing I would be thinking in terms of you know, tweaks, I'd like to hear, we sort of heard a little bit from the perspective of the captain, but I'd, it would have been nice to hear a little bit, almost like a little bit of a dialogue from Mandela, you know, like there would have been a lot of points where, you know, a lot of times where he's commented on the importance of, of that. I think it'd be nice to get that in there. Um, yeah, because he he you know he came up with the one team one nation, yeah, was right. Uh, described it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Good. Good politician, you know, to yeah. come up with a nice catchy phrase. Um, yeah. yeah, but it'd be good to get a little bit more of that in there. But no, that was a good one. I reckon we'll put that one in the uh, the story bank for sure. Um, we so then, business applications. Yeah. Let's, how would you use it? What's the business point? Uh, leading by example. That's yeah. not enough to say. Sometimes you need to do. Yes, and it's it's sort of like this idea of story triggering that we talk about. You know, mm-hmm. he he triggered stories uh, by doing that action. It was something so remarkable that people had to remark on it. Uh, I think that is a big part of it. Yeah, that's right. And 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 everyone did remark on it. Like a, pretty much, I would think every South African had a view. Yes, on, on that. what was what was going on there. Yeah, right. A movie was made of it. Books have been written about it. Um, definitely a remarkable thing. Yeah, yeah. So definitely that lead by example. Um, I, I think related to that, and it sort of touches on the triggering side of things, is that you have to do something big, something special, something out of the ordinary uh, for people to sit up and take notice, right? So I think, you know, sometimes leaders, they want to lead by example, but they don't do anything that's, to create, we know to create a story, something has to be unanticipated, right? So, for example, if you think you're doing, as a leader, you think you're doing something special by just coming to the meeting, well, sorry, guys, that's not going to get you there, right? What, What can you do that's above and beyond that? Um, well, I think that's I, 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 the, I, I, depending I, on the context, of course. Yeah, I, I'll just have a slightly different take on that. In yeah. that, is that when it comes to story triggering, I, I don't think you have to. I mean, certainly it helps to have an event like the World Cup and and the you know that the issue and do something staggering on the world stage, like a huge thing. But for me, the, uh, the the thing about story triggering is is all the little things and things that I've that I've asked leaders to do that have made a difference, right? Turn up to a meeting of their community of practice around sustainability and come in and sit down and say, I know you're meeting, I'm not gonna stay. I just wanna say what you're doing is really important for our organization. And my door is open, come and see me. I'm here to help you. And he walked out. Yeah. That people are going, whoa. That's right. It was unexpected. Totally unexpected. And just little things like in the meeting, a leader handing the whiteboard marker to one of their team and saying, you stand at the front and take and, and do this thing. You know, those little things I think can trigger mm. whole new stories. So it doesn't, I don't think it has to no, be. No, you're right. You're, you're absolutely right. They don't have to be big things. It just has to be things that people don't expect. Yeah. I think that's the, that's the key thing. Yeah. Where um, people go, oh, that's different. Yep. Good, good. Okay, let's give this 
let's give this baby a rating. I think um, I think for me this is this sits above my ordinary. It uh, it's a story I guess, told easily, makes a nice point. I'm going to give it an eight out of ten. A yeah, solid, I'm, a solid, solid eight. eight. Oh, that's, yeah. that's good. Now I'm I'm I don't want to be swayed by the. Uh, the international significance of this, you know, like that, that it, it's this huge story. I'm still going to going to maintain my business usability focus when I give it a score. Right. And and I mean, it is an amazing story, and I love it. But in terms of usability, yeah, there's only a couple of business points that I can really see that we could make with that story. So I'm going to give it a seven. Standard seven. That's no, the normal, I am, I, I'm the normal distribution. The normal distribution for ages. I'm trying to avoid it. I know, I know. You've done well. Um, yeah, you know, I was uh, chatting to a friend of mine uh, this morning. We were on our morning walk, and uh, we were just talking about in a meeting the rhythm of stories that get told and how, in some ways, you sort of have to. We were both sort of feeling that you had to start with the smallest, the small stories, you know, and then you, you get the permission, if you like, as you go through to tell a bigger story, you know, towards the end. And um, and I think, you know, for a lot of people, uh, depending on the context, this could be a really small story, right, right at the beginning, you know, like let's say you're having a meeting and, and you are talking about, you um, um, you know, the importance of getting out there and, and leading out the front or whatever. And you can just sort of say, guys, you know, we've got to kind of do what Mandela did at that that classic, you know, in like Invictus, you know, and because you can reference these other things, you can kind of tell that story in a sentence, one, two sentences. And I reckon majority of people and anyone who doesn't get it, you can give them the 30-second version, right? So I think there's yeah. some great, that's one of the great, I don't know, features of a story like that. You give a different lengths. Yeah. Yeah. And just picking up what you're saying about starting with a small story. Yeah. Potentially, you could, I could start that story by saying, I saw an interview of Francois Pina, who was the captain of the, the Springboks, the South African rugby team that won the 1995. And he was, he just, this is years later, he describes before the game when there was a knock on the, on the door of the, of the change rooms. And Nelson Mandela walked in, and Pina, and, and just tell that little story. Yeah, and he and he's and this is years later, and he still cries. Now, what was it about that moment that was so significant? Yeah, that's right, exactly. And, and you can and kind now, of take and that. Then you lead into it, and in yeah. fact, then you have on your hands a kind of a mystery story. A mystery story, exactly. and we know how people love a mystery story, and. In fact, just the other day, I was rereading uh, Robert Cialdini's paper that he wrote on mystery stories. Yeah, you shared that. Thank you. Right. That's it. I'm rereading it as well. It's a great right. read. And so, you know, just by starting your story with a conundrum, you know, what? So, you know, something weird went on. Um, and, and then sort of saying, well, it could be this, but no, it's not that. Uh, it could be this, but no, it's not that. Ah, this is the answer, you know. And, and then you get the listeners engaged in the process of working things out. Um, and, it's, you know, I think in that paper, he sort of mentions that, you know, he was talking about in the context of teaching students at university so that they'd be interested in the content, right, that he was sharing. And he was saying it's interesting, you know, if you had a university student watching a mystery, you know, sort of movie, if someone spoke next to them, they would shush them 
because they need to get all the data and all the facts to work out what the mystery is. He sort of says he wants that dynamic inside the lecture theatre, you know, where people are nice. so intent, you know, they, they want to know all the bits because if you don't have all the bits, you're not going to be able to work it out. And so it's sort of another level of meaning, I think. So, Yeah, so the more I think about it, the more I think that's a, a really good way to start that story. I think so. Yeah, that would be a cracker. Yeah. All right, let's, let's delete this podcast and re-record it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. Well, guys, that's fantastic. I think we'll wrap things up. Thanks, everyone, for listening in to Anecdotally Speaking. Of course, tune in again next week. We'll have another episode for you on how to put your stories to work. Bye for now. Anecdotally speaking, was engineered by Dave Stokes from author to audio.